this is Kara Foster, Senior Minister of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky. You're listening to our sermon podcast. You can connect with us at firstchristianmadisonville.org or join us in person at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at 10.30 College Drive in beautiful Madisonville, Kentucky. I hope you'll subscribe. Thanks. Choir, that was wonderful. If you were unaware, the choir has sang in both of our services today. Working hard on the last day of the year, Bill's got a quota to fill, so they got to sing twice. Uh, thank them for being here. Thank you for being a part of worship this morning as we close out 2023 together. And as we come to the time after Christmas Day, we're still in the Christmas season, as you heard me mention with the kids, but we only have a few stories that fit into the time before Jesus begins his ministry. We have him being presented at the temple. Uh, We have his uh, story where he disappears from his family in Jerusalem for three days. And we have the baptism that begins his ministry. And this is honestly one of the things I find frustrating. I want more moments of Jesus and his family. I want to know how Joseph and Mary handled teenage Jesus. How did Jesus get along with other kids? What was he like? before his ministry started? These are questions I'd love to have the answer to. And the scripture today sets up a story um, that we, I don't think, we don't get a payoff that I find particularly uh, satisfying. Uh, Obviously, ancient writers told stories differently than us. And where we may have included a lot of details in our modern telling, that wasn't as important to them. But let's read the story together. It starts with dreams. Uh, for the wise men, and then moves to Joseph. So this is Matthew 2, starting in verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they, the wise men, left for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. This isn't usually included in a lot of our retellings of the nativity story. We usually end it with the wise men coming and offering gifts. That's where our children's nativity that we did last week ends. But it isn't where Matthew decides to end the story of infant Jesus. After the wise men are told to avoid a return to Herod, Joseph is told to flee because Herod is going to try to kill Jesus. So they flee to Egypt for an unspecified amount of time. And then a few verses later, they just come back. They return to Nazareth, not Galilee, because they fear the ruler over the Galilean region. So they return and raise Jesus there, and that's the Jesus we're familiar with. He begins talking about his ministry in Nazareth, but for the Savior of the world coming back to his own country to live among his people, honestly, I would want a little more fanfare. I want to know what the day was like. I want a little more details, but really, there's a reason we didn't read it. We just get one verse, and then he came back to Nazareth. I mean, Christmas is the time when we go home like Jesus, or those who have left us come back together. If we were writing this story today, we would probably would talk about how the Holy Family felt 
coming back to the place, what it looked like on the day they arrived with the Son of God in their arms, the fear, the excitement, maybe a bit of hesitancy to go back to a place that became so dangerous so quickly. How did the people react? Did they remember the scandal around Mary, Joseph, and their son? How would they have reacted if they knew about the scandal? What if they knew that the Son of God and his family was coming to live amongst them. I mentioned that I can be frustrated by the gaps in the stories, but what they do is they give us a chance to use our imagination, to try and figure out how people felt, what they saw, and the things that might be going through their minds. Dr. Mitzi Minor, one of my New Testament professors in seminary, called it putting your feet in the sand of the New Testament. That's where you attempt to imagine the world around the people that we meet in Scripture. What would it look like to just be a village like Nazareth? It would be pretty normal on a regular day, but for the Holy Family, it was a homecoming. We know what that's like with Christmas just being here, to return to a place. Maybe we were expecting a big deal, and everyone kind of just went about their day. Or maybe the opposite happened. You know, you want to sneak into town, open some presents, eat a Christmas ham, some green bean casserole, and then you want to sneak right back out. But instead, there were multiple friends there who you weren't expecting to see. You get a little ambushed. You get a lot of attention. Maybe you experienced the fanfare or lack thereof this year or recently. Maybe it was a long time ago. But I think it's something most of us can relate to. We all sometimes get a little disappointed with our expectations. All we can do for this story is imagine what Mary and Joseph and Jesus were experiencing that day. But that doesn't make for a great sermon. So even though the lack of information and story details can be frustrating, especially when it comes to Jesus, one thing that the Bible offers us is a lot of stories. And you can use those stories to understand stories that we feel less that feel less complete. So I thought and I thought during the last few weeks, what story in the Bible would both compare and contrast to Jesus returning home to Nazareth? I thought, are there major homecomings for any of the apostles? Or maybe Jesus' life, we find him encountering someone on their way home. I was stumped on New Testament stories. Nothing really felt right. And it's not a secret that I love the Old Testament. I've preached most of my sermons this year out of the Old Testament. So my brain went to a few different stories in the Old Testament almost immediately. Either returned from the exiles, when the Jewish people were forced out of their homeland and returned. Moses leading his people to the promised land but not getting to go in himself. Joseph, who I talked about a few weeks ago, returning home to meet his brother. They're all homecoming stories. But the one that stuck out to me the most and that I want to walk us through this morning is the story of the ark returning to Jerusalem when David was king. This story takes place in 2 Samuel. We're not going to read the whole thing. After a long conflict between Saul and David. Saul was the old king. David was anointed the new king. If you know anything about history, when two kings are fighting each other, it's always a bit of a war, right? And David wins, and he unites Israel under his reign. We're going to put that unite word in quotes. Because another professor I had in college, Dr. Sarah Kidd, offered this perspective, and I've loved it, and I've said it ever since I had her. She said, history doesn't actually repeat itself. It whispers. 
And I see a lot of whispers, I see a lot of parallels in the story of the returning ark and Jesus returning with his family. The country of Israel in both times was fractured. The long war between David and Saul had made a lot of winners and a lot of losers. And David was looking at a way to unite the people of the kingdoms that he had united. Israel in Jesus' time is fractured because of the Roman occupation. Some Jewish people are profiting, but the rest are suffering and resenting those who profiteer off their uh, misery. There was doubt about who would lead the people of God. There was doubt about what their worship would look like and what the future held in both the Old and the New Testament story. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was considered the very presence of God. It went through the desert with them. Uh, the temple would not be built until David's son, Solomon. So this really was the center of the worship life in early Judaism. It was treated with a lot of regard. It had a ton of rules and ceremony around it. But the ark had been lost. See, Saul lost a battle to the Philistines, so they took it. But what happened was they took the ark, and then they were cursed with all these strange occurrences. They had statues fall down. They had houses break apart. They had plagues. Uh, so they tried to give it back. <laughs> like, we won, but we want to give this back. But it took 20 years of them trying to move it ever closer to Israel. They were having their own war between kings. So eventually, the ark was in all these different places, and it got dropped off at the home of a Levite man who lived between the country of uh, the Philistines and Israel. I dare not pronounce his name because I don't want to disrespect it. I think it is like... Abadona or something like that, but if somebody can correct me, feel free. And then we enter David, who after taking the role of king, decides, I'm going to bring the ark back. But he brings his honor guard to escort it home from this house, and one of them was struck dead by just touching the divine ark. And then David becomes afraid. So they drop the ark off at another person's house. This one's easier to pronounce. His name is Obed-Edom. Uh, and David drops it there, doesn't know if he's going to come back, but Obed-Edom's house and his family were blessed for three months by having the ark in their home. So David gets the right people, returns, and brings the ark back correctly. With Levite men and musicians, and they send a notice ahead to Jerusalem, and there's a parade, and there's people lining the street. David danced in front of the ark as it entered the city. It was a day of celebration and feasting and acknowledgement that the Israelite people were finally back on the right track. Do you think Mary and Joseph were a little upset that there wasn't more of that when they came home? Or do you think they were maybe just relieved to be home after their time in another country? We can feel either way when we go home. Or when home returns to us, those who have left us come back. You see, Christmas is a time when we make space in our schedules for those who are important to us. Many of whom we may only see once or twice a year. A lot of us would love to feel the red carpet rolled out like the ark. I know if I went back to West Tennessee, I would expect dancers and singers to emerge as I entered the Huntington city limits. But I have a feeling our reunions look a lot more like Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. See, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus probably walked to a relative's home who they had met, sent word to ahead of time, who knew they were coming but not when because traveling was very difficult. 
Maybe they sat down to catch up for a bit. Maybe they felt like they had to help prepare cook and do all the things that they do. Maybe the Holy Family told stories about statues and monuments and cities that they saw while they were in Egypt. Maybe it was nice after fleeing from certain death for things to be normal and for them to be back. To have a routine in their life in a place with traditions and families that they knew and understood, that could be a great relief to a family that's basically been on the run for however long it's been. Any length of time is a long time to be on the run. So when I think about the differences in the way the ark was treated versus Jesus's family, you know, the ark could only be carried by men. Sorry, ladies. They had to have the right bloodline and the right standards. They had to have their hair a certain way. Jesus was carried in by a mother who was unwed when he was conceived. To the world, she looked like a no one. But like these men of the Old Testament, these highly respected people, Mary carried God with her in her arms. I'm going to go ahead and assume there were no parades for Jesus like there were for the ark. I bet there was no dancing, no singing musicians greeting Jesus or his family. I mean, both days are monumental moments for the people of God. But the difference is everyone knew what the ark was. But they were still unaware of Jesus, who the writer of Hebrews calls the perfect representation of God, was there to live amongst them. It was another new beginning. Mary and Joseph seemed to have nothing but new beginnings at the start of Jesus's life. Their betrothal was interrupted by Mary's pregnancy. After that rough time, she does what all mothers want to do. She gave birth in a barn surrounded by animals. I know that's the ideal place. Surrounded by shepherds who are kind of dirty and smell kind of weird. But then immediately, they have to go and move to another country to avoid certain slaughter. Then after some amount of time there, see, Joseph is working and learning. Mary is setting a household and being a part of the community together. I hope that they found a Jewish community there, a synagogue to be a part of. But then Joseph and Mary have to bring the family back. And not even really where Joseph is from, but to another district by, ruled by another governor. But at least they're back among their people. At least they're close to the temple. That's a lot of turmoil, though. It's a lot of moving around. And remember, moving is terrible now. But back then, it was way worse. You couldn't even hire movers. You had to just put stuff on a donkey. We face a new beginning and some uncertainty every year. Hopefully not as extreme as Mary and Joseph's first few years. But we talk about the future and what we hope to accomplish in the new year. I hope there's a good amount of optimism for you. It's obvious that this is what the people in Jerusalem felt when the ark came back. But Jesus' relationship to his home country was off to a confusing start. How do the parents explain to little boy Jesus when he's talking to them? How does he feel about the story of having to flee? Being denied room when he was born? Having, hear, having to hear the stories of his life being uprooted twice? Maybe more when he was young. See, there's always a discussion around Christmas. How do you appropriately celebrate a holiday? Is it secular? Yes. Is it religious? Yes. Do you act like Israel did and David and hire singers and dancers, invite everyone you know to host a big to-do? That's an appropriate response to the birth of the Savior, but it sure can be exhausting, especially if you do it every year. You can end up losing two months 
planning one large event or a couple large events for one season. Or you could treat, or you could treat Christmas like the way people did in Jesus' time when he came back to the village. You keep it low-key. You could not travel with the kids and stay home. You could not overdo on presents. Maybe even you decide to get out of town with the family for a while, let the festivities take place, and you to ride it out somewhere else. But then you miss what's going on. You miss the community. You might even miss the religious stories, the candles we light, the songs that we sing. But here's the thing. We have two stories that show how the people react to the presence of God on earth for just one day. And both were right and both were wrong. David made a big spectacle out of bringing back the ark. He danced and had a parade. But his reign wasn't ideal. It wasn't perfect. The nation of Israel was still conquered a few generations later as the ark still laid in the temple where it was placed by his son Solomon. The people in Nazareth weren't informed by a parade that we know of. We don't hear of an angel of the Lord proceeding to tell the people what was going to happen. So the people in Nazareth went about their business. And if there was any celebration of the family's return, they don't tell us about it. And see, Christmas and New Year's offer a lot of polarizing opinions. A lot of folks who think they've nailed it know exactly how things should be. But I would contend that Christmas and New Year's, especially from the perspective of the church, just like Jesus returning to Nazareth, and just like the ark coming back to Jerusalem, is less about the moment they walk into town and more about what happens after. How does Jerusalem react in the Old Testament when the prophets start speaking of the wrong things that they are doing? How do the people in Nazareth react when Jesus starts to proclaim the gospel and speak of the new thing that God is doing through him? This is why we have four words each of the weeks of Advent. Hope, peace, joy, and love. There are guiding lights through this season and as we enter the new year. So let our differences and celebrations not be a big story. Let's find a way to celebrate what we do as we move forward. Let's find ways to bring hope, peace, joy, and love to our neighbors, to our enemies, to those who have just blown into town or returned after a long, hard road. Let's find a way to welcome them and to bring those things into their lives. Amen.